Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm good. Uh, not, not too bad. What, what weather's weather's getting nicer. It's still it's still in that kind of in between stage where you're not quite sure if in in the morning. Like, so the morning I wake my daughter up to help her and she's like, oh, should I, should I bring a jacket or not? Um, and I have to say, every single time in the morning, I have to fish out my phone and look at it, the temperature. I'm like, I would buy a, a watch just for the temperature function. I know they all have that, but to me, that actually is a super killer use case. Just be able to look down and see what the temperature is. Uh, temperature is now or temperature is going to be? No, it was the, the, one of the watch faces shows the temperature is going to be, but um, but yeah. Hmm. I went and played with it in an Apple store. It's, I, I, I had in the back of my mind your point about the killer app is actually contained within use as opposed to a demo. I, I, I was like, mm, this, is, this is interesting. I'm like, I'm not super compelled, but then like sitting around and playing on the watch actually defeats the point of it and you're not really going to know until you use it. So I, I remain interested to find out. Did you, you've pre-ordered one. What? Uh, how when's it's expected to arrive uh i was fortunately in early so um well it's between the 24th and the 8th the problem though is they're not actually for sale in taiwan so i have it's actually in shipping to my parents house and then we'll have them send it over mm, I, I i waited a few hours i was on the east coast at the time and uh by the time i ordered it i think i'm i'm sometime in june <laughs> hey well you ordered so sometime in I june did. so i take it you you ordered the the sport then I did order the sport, and I, I know we talked about the the um the like if you if you like the stainless steel, you might as well spend the extra. But it was one of the things I I didn't make the point of is I actually prefer the matte finish. I'd take a matte finish one with a um I'd pay more for the sapphire crystal face, but I actually like the matte finish. And then this is still kind of an experiment for me, so I, I prefer to like run a cheap. A lean startup approach, run it cheap rather than a more expensive. <laughs> oh no, experiment. it's 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 totally reasonable. I I uh, believe me. I mean, I, I consider it kind of a sport to justify spending more money. So, um, I, I a lot a lot of that was 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 relatively tongue in cheek, but but I I mean it. I I I know some I know people listen to it. Um, and I I actually do think it's it's right. But I am also amused by and frequently reminded of my um predilection ability to justify large purchases of computer equipment. So. <laughs> I, I'm sure you're prob- you're not the only one listening who's who's probably jumped through similar right. hoops. Well, I, I, I'm glad people found it useful. So maybe we can have a regular segment on how to justify purchase X. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, so um, speaking of purchasing uh, mm. and purchases, um, oh, we did want to talk about Google um, and the mm. antitrust stuff, but I did want to do one quick call out. Uh, mm. John Syracuse, um, uh, who kind of rose to prominence and fame writing these massive, super long, super in-depth, super technical reviews of OS X, starting from the the, the early betas and developer previews uh, yeah. until last year, um, announced his retirement today. Uh, oh just wow! A couple hours ago, Did yeah, he? he's not. He's been hinting at it on the on Excellent Head podcast for a while. Um, but I, I thought it worth mentioning just because I, I get the question about like, how do you like? Oh, like people ask me, oh, what book should I read? Or how should I get started in tech? And it's and I always have the answer. Well, it's kind of hard because I've just been immersed in this stuff for for a very long time. And but I was thinking back. I mean, back in the late '90s and, and early 2000s, um, you know. 
folks that had a huge impact on me and taught me so much. For sure, John Syracuse and the reviews really, and it was great about them. It wasn't just about the features and the surface stuff, but it was about what was inside the OS. And if you really mm. dug into it, you could start to understand how operating systems worked. And 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 then that would often lead me to a, to Wikipedia or Google and where I would dig in and try to understand more about something. And that's honestly how I learned a lot of stuff. It, it, it's it's like you start with something and then you and then you want to learn more and you you keep going. Um, other folks like Ars Technica, there's a guy named John Stokes back then wrote about CPU architecture. Um, Anne Lashimpi at, at Anantech. Uh, there's other sites like Voodoo Extreme, um, Tom's Hardware. Um, just it was it was a really like it was it was kind of an amazing time that really demonstrated like how, how the the world had changed, right? Like I. I I didn't go to school. I mean, I took four or five computer science classes in school. It was one of my many majors at, at some point. But like, I wasn't a major. I, I didn't major in it. I certainly didn't do electrical engineering. But like, I at least have a grasp on how this stuff works, and that's because of people putting this stuff on the internet and, and stuff that wouldn't have been published otherwise. Like, there wasn't a market to write like a twenty thousand word article about the intricacies of an of an operating system release but all those people like Syracuse and that whole kind of generation of writers explaining how stuff works like very much a, a part of strategy and a part of strategy in a just kind of like I try to write about context that's the context for me that a lot of this stuff kind of comes out of so I wanted to take the chance to publicly acknowledge him and that kind of whole generation of writers um, most most of them have moved on at this point. Um, uh, not not from this mortal coil, but from from writing on the internet. Uh, and and just say thank you. Yeah, I I remember reading those um, those OS ten reviews and thinking they were the most awesome thing. Back when I was like a frequent reader of Ars Technica, even as far back as the first developer preview, I oh man, those were the days. It's it's, it's hard to it's hard to describe like. Like early Ars Technica and early Anantech, um, and, and Tom's Hardware, like it, it was, it was amazing. Like it, mm. it, it, in like it was slash dot. So it's, <laughs> that's that's kind of different. Yeah, it, like, really, people have been now bringing up a whole bunch of names on Twitter of like influential mm. writers. Then you know, like like um, um, Dave Weiner and the uh, uh, oh shoot, what's the web the web guy? Um, sorry, web guy. Uh, and yes, all super important. Um, and just like teaching people, and and I yeah. for sure am one of their students. And to what extent I can pass that on to what will be the next generation of writers, um, I feel I, I I feel very indebted and grateful. Yeah. So what's he going to do? Is he like done? Did he say what he's going to do next? Uh, no, he, I mean, he still, he, he just does a ton of podcasts. He does podcasts now. Um, oh, so he's done with writing. He's done with writing. Yeah. Ah. So he'll still just do a podcast stuff like that. Nice. I think that, um, the, I actually think he ended at a great spot. I mean, because it, I actually thought his last review of Yosemite was, was one of his best. Um, and the reason was beyond getting into technical details, it kind of had a really, uh, insightful high level view of the evolution of Apple and, and Yosemite, and particularly the last WBC, I wrote this. I wrote about this right after the WC event last year too. Was Apple's shift from discrete units to kind of a, a a an ecosystem? It's always been an ecosystem, but 
with the things like the way that the phone and the computer were now designed to work together and have mm. stuff passing back and forth, like it, it, it was, it was a shift from selling and, and Apple changed the name. They changed what they were about from selling computers before, but to now they're selling like your life. Right. And then the watch is a part of that. And the phone's a part of that. And like Apple is, is like your, your layer for all aspects of your life now. And, and they're more and more making it kind of one cohesive whole. I mean, yes, the UI paradigms are different and, and stuff like that as they should be, but the focus is different. Now OS 10 is a mm. piece of a larger puzzle. It's not its own entity like it was anymore. And I thought uh, Syracuse really captured that well in his last review. And it, it kind of makes it a great place to stop because he charted, he charted the, the life of OS 10 from inception to, to, to basically its end as a standalone unit. And now it's, it's, it's a part of something bigger. I think that is a really good point. I, it's funny how he's been along the journey. And at the start, I read those reviews religiously. And as the operating system matured and the, the phone came of age, I read them less and less. And the operating system has begun to matter less and less. I, I think that point is really well made. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, that's what I would say. I think the operating system is essential from the experience perspective. I think it's just less that the individual, what, what Apple is selling is less about uh, a single unit than it is about the entire, the entire ecosystem. And if there, and I guess if there is a single unit, it, it is the iPhone now. It's not, it's not, I mean, how many people, yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's interesting. I'm much more interested in what they do to iOS now than I am to OS 10. And yeah. it almost feel like feels like the changes they make to OS 10 are more designed to support iOS. Absolutely. That 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 I that I would definitely agree with. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um all the best to John Syracuse. Yes, he had a monopoly on no. <laughs> No, lots of people don't do oh. some reviews, but it was definitely something <laughs> unique. So uh, speaking of monopolies and shopping, mm. um, the European Union filed a statement of objections, I believe is the term, uh, against Google mm. uh, yesterday. And, and obviously this is this is a really big deal. Um, what, what was interesting is, uh, so Google has been investigated for a, uh, several different areas. What's interesting about this action is uh, it's only about shopping. It, it's not talking about the Yelp or the travel advisor or some of these other trip, areas. Oh, wait, trip advisor. Sorry, yeah. trip advisor. Yeah. Uh, what did I say? Travel advisor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's an opportunity. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's only about shopping. And what makes... So, so I think we're going to talk a lot about antitrust, but it's almost like this is a... a Footnote, because it makes this case kind of weird. And the reason it makes it weird is they're accusing Google of prioritizing uh, Google shopping page over the competitors. They're accusing them of you know denying customers a better opportunity, growing their own growth, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that makes it weird, though, is that Google shopping is ads. Like Google used to have an orga orga organic shopping engine, but they, they shut that down years ago. And mm -hmm. instead, their shopping is just it's all it's all advertising and when you search for something like uh danny sullivan has has a great overview of this um we'll, we'll, we'll put a link in but um when you search for dvd players for example you get a box at the top that has a bunch of dvd players and if you click on those 
DVD players, you're taken directly to the merchant site where you can buy them. And the merchants are paying for the privilege of being there. Mm. And that, that's, like, what's, that's the same they do with everything else. I don't, the, the interesting thing is like, why is this different from anything else? Right, exactly. Like this just seems like a search ad. And the whole point we talked about is that a monopoly is about leveraging one biz or most antitrust action is about leveraging one business into dominance in another business. And this just seems to be the core business. Like that's what the search engine, that's how search engines monetize. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it seems a very odd place to start. They, they do have, I mean, they do have rankings underneath some of these results, right? It's like the boxes up on the top of the screen and they do have rankings and those rankings list to, uh, is it Google reviews of the product? Yeah, yeah. And then there's also a shop for DVD players on Google, which is a link to like the Google shopping page where there's tons of results, again, which are all paid. And so maybe I guess that is a violation because or alleged violation because the it's easier to get to Google's shopping page than it is to get to uh, competitor shopping pages. And it, why is it easy to get there? Because Google controls the search result and they're prioritizing their own thing. And that's unfair to other shopping engines. Um, the problem is, I guess Google could just remove the shop for DVD players on Google and remove the stars and still have that at the top and call it an ad. And I, I have trouble seeing how that that is a violation. It's, it's very odd. Just for all the behavior Google does that is arguably problematic, this seems the <laughs> the least objectionable. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it, they get done for this. They're gonna they're gonna get done for a lot of other things as a result. But I agree. It seems like if you are going to mount a case around objectionable monopolistic behavior, there are certainly other places that are stronger uh, in which to start. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting too. This is kind of a, a fundamental question. Like in Google's response both to the FTC complaint, which again I thought the FTC complaint was more compelling in some respects mm. than, than this was that their actions may were better for users. And honestly, it's it's I kind of agree. Like it's better to have a response on the first page that tells you what you need to know than it is to just get a bunch of links. You have to click one and and hope that it's the right one and you'll be able to find the information. Like Yeah. I yeah, this is interesting. And <laughs> you made the point um you made the point earlier that this. So I, I agree with you. I, I totally agree. From a customer, from an experience, from a user experience perspective, it makes more sense. But you made the point that now it's the users that, or the eyeballs that are scarce. It's the it's the uh, it's the thing on the other side of the equation that there's uh, that's not scarce. I I wonder if in the same way that this is unusual because. So, if you think about traditional antitrust, it's always been uh, it's always been a supplier restricting access to a good. Whereas this is now a a supplier or a platform or Google restricting access to consumers in the same way that that that's flipped. Maybe the way maybe the rationale for governments attacking this has kind of flipped as well. It's not necessarily about uh it's not necessarily about what's best for consumers but it's actually about promoting competition does that make sense yeah no i think that 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 is the 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 only just the justification that makes sense i think traditionally uh the u.s antitrust 
has been more concerned with the effect on customers mm. and European antitrust and more focused on the effect on competitors. Mm. And that, I think that does, that does fit here. And I think that that is why like, I actually, I thought the FTC uh, for a few reasons, I thought the FTC was right to not pursue action against Google actually. Um, and one of them is, I think a lot of the things that Google is in, or at least one of the reasons why I could understand they didn't is that a lot of stuff Google does is better for customers, even if it is worse for competitors. Whereas European authorities have traditionally taken a different view. And in this case, yeah, if Google is having these vertical search results where they display the answer right there, sure, competitors may be in the links, but of course traffic is going to be dramatically diminished. Well, so this this is, I think, prompting the interesting tension in your question. If if you ha- or, or or in the the observation, it is better for consumers. But if you were a policymaker trying to think about which to prioritize, do you prioritize what's best for consumers, or do you prioritize creating an environment in which competition can take root? Which is actually more important? No, it, for sure. And this is a, like everything we talk about, like there are trade-offs. And this is the trade-off in considering this this sort of action, um, particularly in this case. The But when you consider a trade-off, you also have to think about like, what's the opposite that, that might happen, right? So if the government... Um, if the user experience is made worse on finding stuff, but there's more competition, which seems to be the ideal outcome, um, what's going to happen? Um, well, the user experience is going to get worse, and I guess there might be more competition, right? That's the intended outcome. On the flip side, the fear is the user experience might get better, but competition will go away or will be diminished in, in the long run. Like, what's the concern in the long run? Like, is it I guess it's that with less competition, there will be stagnation. Um, The problem, though, and this is my fundamental issue, I think, with antitrust in technology, is Google's dominance or Microsoft's dominance seems to be of a very different sort than physical infrastructure Mm -hmm. monopolies like railroads and telephone wires. Those, like, the cost of of building of having a market-based response is is so massive that and the paradigms change so slowly like what what ultimately disrupted railroads it was the car roads or yeah the highway, ex- exactly right? but the sherman antitrust act was in the late 1800s and the interstate system in the u.s was started in like the 1950s like that was 70 years and by the time it was finished is almost 100 years right mm. and 100 years is a long time to tolerate a monopoly uh, in trusting that the market will fix it, right? In technology, though, it moves so much more quickly. Like the reason why Microsoft is not dominant today is not because of antitrust. And I get that people inside Microsoft uh, blame antitrust for a lot of Microsoft's issues. Um, I think that over, I, it absolutely had an effect. I felt it while being there. Like there's stuff, but. The issue for Microsoft was mobile, and the reason why Microsoft didn't succeed in mobile is not because they're handicapped by antitrust, is because their incentives were wrong. Like their incentives were about the PC and their expertise in the PC, and that was fundamentally unsuited for mobile. And the, your arg- and that how that happened quickly, relatively speaking, relative to 
these physical infrastructure things. And in a world where, where paradigm shifts happen frequently, that removes the government like motivation to incentivize competition because competition will arguably happen, which means the only thing that's happened is consumers have been hurt and you've wasted a bunch of taxpayer money. You've wasted a bunch of company time and money and you've dragged people through the mud, which is great for tech journals. You could read lots of interesting emails, but like it just, the trade-off seems fundamentally different technology than in these other areas. Well, you said that it eliminates the it eliminates the reason for governments to do it. The fact that things are moving faster. I don't think it eliminates the the need. It it might you could mount the argument it lessens the need. I think I think your observation though that um, that these paradigms shift quickly is true. I guess the question then becomes: Is there a benefit to accelerating them? So I you could make the argument that. Y- there is an abuse of monopoly power and for all the reasons, yes, the the, the nature of it is different and there is a a positive uh, user experience as a result of this abuse. But you could also make the argument that there there is still cost to that uh, abuse and uh, the paradigm shift, I, I think the observation is those paradigm shifts have been a good thing. If you have governments, uh, if you have governments, uh, taking action against people who have this monopolistic power, do you think that the the effect of the government is to actually speed up the paradigm shift and that that in turn benefits us? There's less time spent... there's less time spent in that monopoly and it, it actually speeds up whatever's coming next? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you, you could almost argue that... Uh Antitrust action is a trailing indicator, right? I mean, yeah. for for Microsoft, the now looking back with the benefit of hindsight, by the time the government filed their suit about Windows, like the factors that would lead to the end of Microsoft dominance were already playing out. Like the mm. the what what mattered wasn't the browser; it would matter what was inside the browser. Right, and and Google became dom. Where did Google became dominant? Google became dominant inside of Internet Explorer, right? right. And, and arguably, the same thing is happening to Google, by the way, right? They've invested all this time and money in Android, and, and the European Commission is also opening an investigation in Android, which is more interesting than shopping. Mm. But the actual innovation is happening inside of Android, in like Facebook, for example, right? And so it's, it's kind of classic how arguably Android is new Internet Explorer. Um, but that was already happening by the time the government filed suit. And then what really did Microsoft in was was mobile. And what's interesting about mobile is why did Microsoft fail in mobile? It wasn't because of the government action. It was because the like if if anything, if the government action hurt Microsoft, it was it it diminished their incentive, their incentive to win at all costs and to and to drive the problem though, when mobile wasn't a lack of incentive, it was the wrong incentives, right? If you're, if you're a monopolistic player, like a, if you're a horizontal company where, you know, you have these massive upfront costs, minimal marginal costs, you want to be everywhere. You want to serve everyone. That's the, that's the, that's the outcome. You're, you have massive incentives to strengthen that monopoly and to push that monopoly and to leverage that monopoly. And that's the reason why you get sued in the first place. Right. Um, and these, by the way, these incentives are so massive that I don't think there's any sort of, uh, you know, deterrent power to antitrust. Like that's just the mm-hmm. way a horizontal company works. 
The issue though with that is by pushing that horizontal focus for Microsoft, for example, when they went to mobile, they didn't miss mobile. They invested more in mobile than anyone. But what did they invest in? They invested in something that propped up that was dependent on the PC paradigm. Heck, the operating system even looked like a PC, right? And it presumed the dominance of the PC. When actually mobile, you need to start from a clean slate, start with Mm. new paradigms, a new way of looking at the world. And if anything, so if anything, a government action, to the extent that it diminishes incentives to dominate your horizontal area arguably puts you in a better place for what's next because those incentives are the problem in the first place. This is, this is interesting. So what I'm hearing is uh, the, a part of the rationale for this historically has been that uh, uh, the nature of monopolies in the past is that they would exist for extended periods of time and government action would take some time to to work its way through. So, you, you know, you have a monopoly for seven, 70 years, uh, a government action that takes two or three years is definitely worth it because there's 67 years in which in which you've, you've saved society from experiencing the monopoly. But that things are now changing so rapidly that governments interfering, the, the, the trailing indicator point is such that governments interfering is that there, the 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 replacement of the monopoly, the thing that matters more, is already down the pipe by the time that the that the monopolistic action lands. It's that certainly. I mean, I think we're two, arguably two for two here. I mean, one that was the case for Microsoft, and two, I I think that's the case for Google. I mean, I I argued the peak Google thing last year, and the entire point was that Google. It's this point exactly. Google is poorly placed for the next wave that is that is coming, and and the reason they're they're poorly placed is their incentives that drive them towards dominance in this era are the wrong incentives for the next era, right? And uh, and that is what will disrupt them, just like is what disrupted Microsoft. Um, I'm using disrupt wrongly. I know. Uh, don't worry. Um, yeah. And, I'm, and, beyond, and, I'm immune to it. Now. <laughs> and like antitrust like diminishes incentives, but the whole point is that it diminishes the same incentives that are spelling the company's doom anyway. <laughs> like horizontal companies are, they're such that the incentives are to dominate an era and those that exact sort of drive to dominate an era makes you fundamentally ill-equipped to dominate the next era. Mm, this is... So I, I think you've mounted a pretty effective case. So I, I want to play devil's advocate myself a little bit and explore whether there still might be. So so we're starting to. I'm starting to hear the case. Okay, there's not really much point of having antitrust law in in the in, in the internet era. It doesn't make sense in the technology world. Let me let me see if I can mount some arguments to <laughs> to see if I can convince you that there are, there still might be some value in having it. So you think about um, you think about Europe and the effect that Google has had on Europe. So all that money that Google's making right now, wh- where did that where was that money flowing twenty years ago? Uh newspapers broadcasters 
Right. And they were, from a geographic perspective, they were relatively, they were relatively diversely spread, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's the whole point is like newspapers were, were kind of geographic, had geographic monopolies where they, they were the only game if you wanted to reach a mass audience in a particular geographic area. And that made them very valuable and made them have the luxury of things like, you know, journalistic standards and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) You are, so it's, it's interesting because we touched on this last week in that technology is increasingly creating these winner take all type uh, uh, environments where one player instead of it being dispersed in the way that it used to be, it tends to be that one tree shoots up in the rainforest and leaves everybody else on the rainforest floor. I, I, I guess it, it's, I, I'm just thinking about this from the perspective of Europe. Like, like it's obviously all these winners are going to be uh, different perspectives from different geographies. But I guess it's, it's prompting the question inside my head, like what's the economic impact on societies or countries of this winner take all when the winners aren't concentrated in your geography so th- there was an interesting forbes uh, forbes did some analysis i think it came out today on the unicorns and the numbers from a geographic perspective was like california uh, way in front new york had 10% and then it just it just dropped off even further than that and if uh, i i'm just curious if if antitrust if there's some antitrust relationship to the fact that these winner take all market these winner take all markets are going to adversely affect a number of geographies like Europe. Yeah, I think I so basically you're saying previously um say advertising for example, which is mm. a, a stable share of GDP, usually about 1%, um right, higher in some places lower in others. Uh there may be the same amount of money in advertising, but instead of it being distributed all over the world, like uh, newspapers in in Europe, for example, an increasing amount of it flows to Mountain View, right? Um, or will flow to Mendel Park or whatever, Facebook, whatever, whatever it might be. And it's interesting. It, it it is an interesting question. I'm not sure that that raises though the the question of is this antitrust action like politically motivated in some respect, right? Because um, trying to uh, garnish money that was, which it isn't even that much money anyway. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I can see why that's problematic, but it seems that's a political question. And I'm not sure that that should be an impetus for antitrust. Well, there has been a political angle to this. So, so that's an interesting way of framing it. But there has been a political angle to this previously, right? Didn't the the European Parliament uh, vote on breaking up Google about right. six months ago? Yeah, non-binding yeah. resolution. But yeah. No, it does, it, it, does ra- it does raise the – no, for sure. And I think there's been already been some criticism of that this being more – that does give context for there to be criticism that this is politically – motivated in, in some respects um and a reason why google would be more likely to be investigated by the u.s as opposed to the u.s beyond the kind of competitive versus consumer angle right again yeah it it, it just does if it was a yeah if it was a more principled thing i don't understand and europe's europe's focus on 
uh, Europe's focus on the producer side rather than the consumer side, all that stuff in the FTC makes so much more sense. But then I, I wonder whether, well, I guess they have jurisdiction over search results inside of Europe. Um, but these are all companies that are outside of Europe. They're all American companies. I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting approach. I, I guess to come back to where I was, to, to, to what I was trying to do, mount an argument for the continued usefulness of antitrust laws is, is something that we have talked about previously, which is the abundance versus scarcity. And I, 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 the, the, I, I looked into the antitrust laws a little bit um, before we started recording this, and it does say that the categories of prohibited conduct are not closed. And I, I wonder whether this notion of controlling information and controlling what people see and governments becoming particularly uncomfortable with that might actually be the rationale for yeah, your point around user experience is very well made, but the point around that and that being a principle and a priority for government might continue to justify the continued um, uh, use of antitrust law against companies like Google. So basically because people go to them for information you're saying they shouldn't be allowed to provide the information themselves or or prioritize like i mean there's a free speech aspect to this though too which which has been litigated i i believe um you know that google google has the right to display the search results that it deems correct i mean like do we do we want oversight on like, where's the line then? If Google, okay, so Google can't put its own information. Well, then Google's, okay, so we're providing search results. Well, mm-hmm. then somebody complained, well, Google's algorithm is unfair because blah, 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 blah. Like, that seems a very problematic, a very yeah. problematic area that, again, frankly, th- th- there's a mass, th- these things are a trade off. And the trade off here is now we have the government, we want to put the government in charge of determining information, the information we see. Like, that, that, Seems That's not even ideal worse. Either. Right. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't think you want to be putting the government in charge of the information we see. I, I agree. I, I guess historically it's been the case that uh, there have been a variety of information sources that were, well, to, to a greater or lesser extent, there were at least some variety of information sources that people could go to, to to see what was happening. Like major cities would have a number of newspapers. And so there would be there would be laws restricting media companies from becoming too concentrated because you don't just want one point of view. But when it comes to getting information on the web, that's starting to just by, again, by virtue of this winner-take-all type environment, it is concentrating. Now, I don't know that you, again, I totally agree with your point that you don't want governments determining how uh, how or what we see, but maybe there's some... Uh, Maybe there's some special responsibility that's placed on companies that manage to get to this this stage where they have they're in this winner take all environment. Maybe it's around transparency. Maybe it's around things like the algorithm that that determines what gets um, presented to to people uh, for search results, for example, or what goes in your newsfeed. Like it, it becomes public information, so people can understand how the company's deciding what people see, because that's that's the new that's the new focus in this world of abundance, determining how th- things get shown to people. 
Yeah, but I mean, there's an aspect, almost like a paternalistic aspect to this that makes me a little uncomfortable. And that is like, people don't have to use Google. Like they're choosing to use Google. People don't have to only use Facebook. Like they're, they're like, no one, it's not like, like when you wanted to use AT&T, you had to use their phone lines. Like you didn't have any choice in the matter, right? Like that isn't the case when it comes to Google or or Facebook. It, I mean, but Microsoft was is a- isn't isn't a util I mean isn't search a utility I mean now we think of a phone as an essential utility and and search hasn't always been like that but isn't search approaching the point of being an essential utility to the point that kind of what telephones were previously but there's but the 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 there's comp- there is competition you could say oh well google is better than bing um, and it is better than Bing, and it and it has inherent advantages by being larger. Like it, it right. the larger one gets better over time. But the barrier to entry is dramatically lower than when it comes to when it comes to like cable or 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 telephone lines, right? And and Google's uh, retribution ability to to cut off a competitor is dramatically more limited than previously. Like AT&T, again, like the whole thing they did was they would ch- charge outrageous prices for f- telephones and then use those profits to let them offer long distance service at a, uh, or to offer phone service at a reasonably low rate. So no, no one could break in against them. Like what, what is Google going to do? Like Google's only way to compete against Bing is to be better. And that's, that's, a good outcome from a consumer standpoint. I mean, I don't know. I think it, particularly in tech, it's easy, especially anyone who has to compete with Google or had to compete with Microsoft in the '90s. It's very easy to be scarred by that. To remember it as as a terrible time. Um, but and maybe this is more that that is fits better with kind of the Europe European approach. Um, but particularly today, and with tech companies uh, and with tech these sort of tech monopolies, I have trouble seeing the the justification for the downsides of antitrust for the government interference, for the cost, for the, for the time, for the money, for the um, like, what's the outcome here? The outcome, what's the European union's goal? Arguably it's to make search worse. Uh, Or, I mean, yes, it is to make, I I guess it would be to, to the, the case would be to make Google search worse in order to make, from a relative perspective, to make Bing's and Yahoo's better to promote competition, because you in you don't want it all concentrated in in one company's hands. I, I I'm not necessarily saying it's right, but I I, I yeah, think but that's I mean, exactly but, what they're trying to do, right? But but I guess I, I mean coming full circle, the reason why you don't want it concentrated in one hand is because you want to stimulate competition with the belief that competition in the long run will have a better outcome for society, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, again, the evidence suggests that the the competition will arise regardless. Like it's like, it, this is by definition, any sort of antitrust action is kind of backwards looking. It's looking at the world as it is, or as it, mm-hmm. as it just has been. And the value and what changes things isn't competition in the current paradigm, it's a new paradigm coming along. And I don't see how antitrust, again, like I said, I don't see how it really makes this happen sooner rather than later. Um, 
So the, the trade-offs become much more severe because there's I just don't see the upside. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That being said, if I was if I was Yelp or TripAdvisor and I saw Google scraping my all my content and then uh, and when I complained about it, threatening to make me disappear out of search results, which I am assuming drives a massive amount of those guys' traffic, like I would feel pretty frustrated because sure, for sure. But but I mean, the outcome of the FTC inquiry was that Google had to uh, cons- uh, a, a binding consent to not do that. Like, and why isn't that a good enough outcome? Mm. Like, like is the goal just to punish them? Well, I the mean, problem like, is the problem is every time, uh, 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 yeah. Well, I, 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 I get like, your point. You get like get the theory point. of you get like the theory of punishment, right? And like, what? Why do you punish people? Like, one is to deter, but I think, that, like I said, the economic incentives, particularly in technology, for this behavior is so overwhelming that I don't know that deterrence and the and the deterrent penalty is is just doesn't compare. I don't know that deterrence works. So I mean, are we trying? It almost comes down to we're just trying to to punish them. I mean, especially if the alternative is in a negotiated agreement where they stop the bad behavior. Like I don't understand why that isn't enough. It it probably is. I I guess I one question I have is like how many other instances of bad behavior are there that we don't know about that are taking place, and. Uh, and how long does it take before we find out what they are and then solve them versus like trying to, I think what the, the, the principled argument for what the Europeans are doing is rather than waiting for symptoms to crop up and then stop them, they're trying to go to the source. But your point is, is very well made. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. There's, it's interesting. There, there is, there is kind of a, a dual problem here. Um, and I guess there's a kind of fundamental question about how you see the future playing out. Um, on one hand, as you noted in our, we referred to this last week in our conversation, we're likely on the road to more monopolies, not mm. fewer, um, by the nature of the internet and the way it tends towards winner take all outcomes. Um, so, on one hand, you can argue that the need for antitrust is greater than ever. The flip side, antitrust enforcement, the flip side is that at least the last 15 years suggests that the pace of change and innovation is so great that uh, the market, there actually is a viable market response to monopoly, which means we don't need the government to get involved. It's not like before when there was 70, 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, th- so there's a balance here. So I think the, the question here and the fundamental question is one, uh, is really, do you think that pace of paradigm change and innovation is going to continue? And because you, there's an argument in lots of industries, every time there's a paradigm shift, there's a ton of innovation and openness and, and things, but then, then things consolidate, right? Mm. I mean, the car industry went from hundreds of, of people building all kinds of different cars to there being like three in the US. Like mass, and you see this in industry after industry. And will that be the case on the, with internet companies? That's kind of the question. If you think it will, then we actually so, need more antitrust. Yeah, you. Um, last week you distinguished between tech, tech, and tech touching the physical world, and I think your argument that the argument you're making right now uh, is pretty powerful for tech, tech, in that the rate at which the 
the the Microsoft gets knocked off by the Google or the Apple that gets knocked off by the Facebook. I think that that observation is correct. I'm not necessarily so sure that's going to hold true in in tech stemming into the physical world. So when when a company like Uber, for example, um, gets a monopoly, uh, I think the pace at which the paradigm shifts will take place in the physical world is going to remain a lot slower than in, in the tech tech world. That I, that's a really smart observation Um, because once it gets like, once you're dealing with physical assets and with people and, and broad consumer behavior, um, yeah, it becomes much more entrenched. Right. That's an interesting distinction to make. I, uh, it's this is tough. I I I I know your pushback is entirely valid on on lots of this, but I just get so uncomfortable with the idea that so much of what we uh, see in terms of the information that's presented to us is controlled by fewer and fewer organizations. And even if those organizations turn over quite quickly, while they're on top in that paradigm, it, it it's. It's a uncomfortable place from a societal perspective for me. But that's that that's a problem with people, not with the companies. Like no one is forcing you to go to Google or to be on Facebook. No, I know, but it's also the nature of technology in that part of the reason these winner take all is that there are these there are these um uh, positive uh, uh it's 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 this What's the Reach, it's, return, of, it's return to scale and network effects, right? Yeah, but it's it's like the opposite of a death spiral. You get all these as virtuous, get, virtuous cycle. Thank you. I've I've not had enough sleep this week. You get that virtuous cycle where the product gets better, and yes, the search results get better. But that doesn't mean that the company can't come along and manipulate it in certain instances in a way that that might make you uncomfortable. And it's the same thing with Facebook, right? Like part of the reason I use everyone uses Facebook is there are so many people that are on it. But how does like the notion of how Facebook determines what's on that newsfeed while Facebook is dominant, even if the pace of replacement of these companies is accelerating, there's still one on top. And the while one company controls that information that you see, it's still uncomfortable to me. Sure, I but I'm I not. Sure, I'm not. I'm not sure that antitrust is the right tool for the job. I mean, it's like it's like with Uber. We, we talked about this before. Like, yes, it may be a problem that using price discrimination uh, is bad for poor people as opposed to rich people. It exacerbates inequality. But the answer isn't necessarily to regulate Uber; it's to fix inequality. Right? I I, I totally agree. I, I'm curious for you to. F- to, to run that statement out to its logical conclusion and say, okay, if it's not antitrust, if it's not, if it's not governments coming along and using antitrust law to, to tinker, so to speak, with this situation, what is your proposed solution? Well, I'm not, I, I'm not sure that I, I question the premise that there has to be a proposed solution. I mean, the so, objective reality is that everyone on the planet uh, outside of China, arguably has access uh-huh. to more information than ever before. But uh, like no argument, but we're not arguing about the abundance. We're arguing about like, given so much abundance, how do you determine what people see? Well, the issue there is consumer behavior. Like, I don't know. I mean, 
it's people choosing to limit themselves to what they see in their Facebook feed. And like, I'm very uncomfortable with using government power mm. to regulate people's personal behavior. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm totally with you in terms of regulating people's personal behavior. I don't think this is about telling people what they can and can't do. I think it's directed at companies. That is the issue. And so you're trying to get like a backdoor solution to fix what people see, what people themselves are choosing to see. Like your problem is, is your, your problem at the core is people limiting themselves, isn't it? I, I like, I don't know. Here's the thing. I have a subscription to Amazon Prime. I'm used to buying stuff from Amazon. I don't read the news all the time because like a lot of folks, I'm busy. Amazon gets in a argument with a publisher around pricing and all of a sudden I'm trying to find a book and I can't find it. And I was like, oh, maybe that book isn't around or maybe I'm looking for this other book. Like the idea that that can happen and that that will continue to happen and it will happen more makes me uncomfortable. And I I, I get your pushback, but I, 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 I don't know. I, th I think it's something we need to figure. Uh, like my natural inclination is government. Government needs to do something about this. But again, you're, you might be right. Maybe that's a bad idea. Yeah, well, the Amazon one, I think is, um, I think there's a stronger case to be made in that it's almost more like a, a, a monopsony situation. Um, a monopoly is where you're the only seller a monopsony is where you're the only buyer. And so you have undue influence on, on your suppliers. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you could always get those books elsewhere. I mean, there's no, um, you, you could, but like I, I'm, I'm, it's almost got to the point where if I'm looking for a product and I type it into Amazon and it doesn't come up, I, I question whether it exists. It's the same with wait, Google. If wait, I'm, so, wait, so you're saying that uh, you're shopping, you go straight to Amazon. So how is, uh, how is Google so shopping a problematic? <laughs> that's a good question. I, I think that's a question you should direct to the, the European uh, Union as opposed to me. <laughs> well, I mean, you think, about, you think about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the, the, the whole issue for Google is this shift to mobile where, where Google is, um, you Not know, doing the, so well. What, well, they're doing well from an Android perspective. Yeah. But their apps are sitting next to an Amazon app or next to a Yelp app. Like uh, right now, Yelp gets Yelp gets an increasing amount of its traffic, something like a, a, a very large number. Um, it used to be hugely from Google, but now it's people going directly to the Yelp app on their phone, mm. right? No, I mean, I I I kind of want to push you again. I I agree that the Amazon. <laughs> so the Amazon one, I, not everyone might have been listening. Again, it's we talked about it a little bit in the old podcast or the previous podcast. Amazon got in a dispute with book publishers or a book publisher, and while the dispute was going on, it deprioritized the results of books when people search for it from that publisher. And I, yeah, you're you're right in that I, I don't go to Amazon for all my products, but if I'm looking for a book, the first thing that does come to mind is Amazon. And if I type a book title into Amazon and it doesn't come up, I do start to question the existence of that book. Like, how do you solve for that problem? I mean, the, the, it, it, the idea of a retailer using availability as a negotiating tactic is is hardly a new one 
Um, I don't know. I, I guess the way you solve for the problem is by suing Apple. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's I. I like that. <laughs> just to just to explain that last little joke that Ben made for those people who don't follow along with uh, tech and antitrust, perhaps quite as much as we do, is that uh, Amazon has the monopoly on books, but the DOJ went after Apple instead. Right um, for uh, alleged collusion and, and and price fixing. Um, frankly, a bizarre, a bizarre case. Which w- indications are there's a good chance might get thrown on appeal. Um, but um, people don't. People will. Pe- people get very worked up about that case. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure why. Because um, of Apple. Yeah. Well, it's mostly people who who are I think thrilled that Apple got it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> The whole thing, it it requires an assumption that um, like higher prices are inherently bad. It requires a very narrow interpretation of the law um, as opposed to a a broader systematic view of of the issue. but anyhow, uh, that, it's, it's, that's interesting though, because it's, it's, a, it, there's a parallel there to higher prices aren't necessarily best for consumers but they might be better for producers, which is kind of what the argument that the EU is making right now, right? Yeah, like we're, we're, we're degrading the user experience somewhat, but it's better for producers. And uh, on balance, that's, that's a good thing, even if the user experience does suffer. There's a little bit of that same logic there, don't you think? Yeah, no, for, definitely, uh, definitely. Um, I, well, one thing that's interesting is here's kind of a... a, a a different way to look at the same kind of trade-off. Um, there was a debate on on the web this week. I think prompted by Twitter uh, walking down further. Uh, I wrote about this week, but um, the latest thing is they walked out like data people with access to the fire hose that are they're going to walk them out, and Twitter will, will take control of that. And there's a debate about um, oh, I think Chris Dixon's kind of started it with a series of tweets. He put it in a medium post, a link to it, um, saying you know the pendulum right now is swung to close, but it will swing back to open. And that's the way things go. And Ev Williams wrote a post saying, "Like, uh, are you sure about that? Like, uh, if you, it's the same argument we just made. If you look at other industries, at the beginning of a paradigm shift, there's an explosion of activity and lots of different stuff. But over time, uh, stuff consolidates, and mm-hmm. a few companies, a few companies get power. And it, it's interesting because um, an argument that we've talked about a lot is the idea of like user experience is important and." Uh, Apple wins on that, and that's a problem. You know, I've made the case that that that's a problem with the traditional theory of disruption. It doesn't it undervalues that. And why do you get that? You get it from being integrated, from controlling all the different pieces. Um, mm. an arguably, another way to say integrated is closed. Um, but it's the same. It's the same question here, right? It's it's the idea that users will choose. A superior, or at least some portion of them, will choose a superior user experience, uh, which props up a closed sort of thing. Like this intersection between user experience and open and closed, I think, is an interesting one. Um, yeah, I mean, probably. It, it does presuppose the option of choice, and I think when you're talking about iOS versus Android, there are choices. I, I guess the question, as it relates to the topic that we just vectored in on. Is is when there aren't choices, like what do you do then? 
Right, but but that that's the but that's the whole thing with most of these like with for Google like there there is choice. Yeah, yeah, there there is. I mean, I I, I downloaded Firefox to have a second browser and they've changed their default search engine to Yahoo and I didn't even notice. I just started typing because I just assumed, oh, this must be Google doing one of its funny days in terms of, like I didn't even pay attention. (laughs) It's just like, oh, they've put some funny thing up on the homepage. And then I started looking at the results and I'm like, these are all crap. Like what's going on here? And then I was like, oh, it's Yahoo. I need to fix that. Yeah, it's interesting because in this case, whereas when it comes to our arguments about Apple and Android, um, Apple is the minority player. They leverage their advantage in user experience to charge higher prices, which makes Mm -hmm. them a minority player, but also gives them freedom to to do all this bundling and tying and all that sort of stuff that would be illegal for Monopoly. What's challenging from a web services standpoint when it comes to Facebook or Google is that they are arguably also winning mm. with the superior user experience, but by nature of the arenas they operate where stuff is free, uh, yeah. they are both a better user experience and dominant. Yes, it's um, interesting because if if Apple had <laughs> if Apple had 90% market share, I don't know that we would tolerate a lot of its behaviors. Exactly. Exactly. But 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 that means like we ha- like it's almost like antitrust is argue if you buy the idea that integration leads to a better user experience, then yeah, it's is- going to make for some interesting antitrust cases going forward in a world where things are given away for free and you've got winner take all. Right, exactly, because now the incentives to provide a superior user experience are aligned with the incentive to be dominant. Right. Mm. Whereas with so when you're paying for something, because it actually costs something to deliver superior user experience, mm. theoretically, and because Apple makes money through hardware, like it just it makes it, uh, uh, it, yeah, it, it's reasonable, right? The integrated solution is more expensive, which limits its share. But when everything's free, it's it's it, it's more problematic. It, it really raises the question about antitrust because it casts the kind of classic European versus American approach in much starker contrast it yeah because if you take a consumer-centric approach then this is a good thing um and if you think that competition is actually the most important thing more important than the best possible user experience you'll take a much more aggressive european sort of approach and i think again i think the the question has to be is what's your faith in the market to fix this and i I, yeah it, it it it's it's going to be interesting because the the impacts are going to flow on beyond the defined industry. So I think in the instance of uh, Google having a monopoly on advertising and there being an effective almost a very large number of uh, ads and the ad price being set by market rates. Um, you, but you, it, it applies less so. But when you think about a company like Facebook, which is intentionally uh, restricting the amount of ad units they have available for advertisers to come on and uh, to, to be able to advertise to users in an effort to increase the 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 
I mean, the amount the of revenue they, yeah, exactly. It's the the monopoly effects of that aren't necessarily going to be an issue within uh, the users interacting with Facebook. It's going to have an impact on all the advertisers in different industries who then need to go and advertise on Facebook because that's the only game in town. Interesting. So it's like flipping, it's like take the classic argument that, oh, you know, users for Facebook aren't the, they're not users of the product or whatever. The actual Mm. customers are advertisers. And then, yeah, it's totally reframing it away. So an advertiser, uh, Facebook is limiting supply. What is the supply? The supply is users' eyeballs. They're limiting supply for advertisers in effect to drive up prices, um, which is classic monopolistic behavior. So it's almost almost like this takes care of the abundant scarcity tension in antitrust. Maybe we're just looking at it backwards. Yeah, that's what we've been doing. That that it that maybe the Europeans have it right. That it's no longer consumers that need to be protected from these big monopolies. It's actually businesses in other industries. Uh, well, I don't know if they have it right because the the ones that are complaining about this are not the advertisers on Google. It's like these competing, it's these competing shopping sites. Um, right, but a bit. That's an example of it. Like what we just described is an example of. I don't know. It just seems, it seems like maybe it's just my inherent distrust of this sort of government action. It just seems like such a reach to justify, uh, you know, such an expensive and invasive action when, again, we're not sure. It should only happen if we think that the market will not fix it. And, I just don't know. I just don't see why it's preordained that the market won't fix these issues. I think in the instance of, I, I think it's easy to react in a similar way in the instance of uh, of this Google uh, action because it's just a little weird. But when you start to think about it from the perspective of Facebook, I don't know. <laughs> I hope it's not my my general uh, dislike or distrust of Facebook coming through, but the, rather that if if you're an advertiser and the you have a company that has all the eyeballs and they are restricting the amount of slots uh, that you can place ads, uh, it's it it becomes a more interesting question. But I certainly get your distaste. Well, the, well, the, the other question is like that presumes a necessity for advertising, right? Like, I mean, like people needed to ship freight on trains, like people needed to use phones. Like, are we saying that the government is justified in action to guarantee the right to advertise? Well, how do you determine? I mean, yeah, it's a really good question. And my natural reaction is, oh, screw the advertisers. That's not, that's that's not such a bad outcome. But uh, I, I mean, you're the one that's made the argument that this is a useful function to society, right? Like you create a new product and you want people to be able to find out about it. No, I do. I'm not inherently anti-advertising. There's bad ads, lots of bad ads and lots of bad practices. But the idea of advertising, yeah, I I think is is a lot more beneficial than most of its critics. So so I I think it, it when you start to think about monopolies, it's not necessarily there's not necessarily an assessment of the value of the the product or service or the market for the product or service like all you have to 
all you do when you think about a monopoly is is there is there sufficient power taking place in a defined market for a product or service? And I think you could make the argument that that's where Facebook could well end up for for advertising. Yeah, maybe, but I think we're a long way we're a long way from that point. That's a bridge to cross. We see it. it. It's an interesting point. I think turning it backwards is a really fascinating way to look at it. Um, and I, th- like I said, I think Square is the kind of abundant scarcity question that we we opened, you know, way back mm. when. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we were. Uh, uh, it, it's 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 such a it, it, this sort of stuff is. I think what makes it problematic is there's. It, it's a subject that has so many assumptions and um, trade-offs and philosophy almost behind it that yeah. there's different aspects of antitrust because it's government action, because it's big companies, because it's monopoly, because it's on markets. Like, what's your philosophy on markets? So I know some people, me using the idea that markets will fix it makes some people's skin crawl, right? Because they, they don't believe that. My right. point is that there's so many points in this discussion that you could have a debate on it's almost hard to wrestle into 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 an hour yeah yeah it's very hard to wrestle into an hour indeed which is um, why we're on like hour three but yes like yes uh this is the first time we've actually started got an hour in said this is terrible and like we need to try again well, so um, which which should make people fear because uh, we'll see, we'll see how, how how people like this one. Hopefully, it's not too bad. Hopefully, it's not too bad. Yes, thank you, thank you for our um, thank you for allowing us to monopolize your ears for the last hour. <laughs> yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that's terrible, Ben. Uh, very good, as always. Good talking to you. Yes, I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, mate. See ya. Bye bye.